Hello and welcome once again to Crazy Comics and Stories. It's me, your charming and delightful old Uncle Rap Bastard. And at the other end of the series of tubes and wires that we call the internets is Joe, Crazy Writer. How you doing today, Joe? I'm doing great. Did you know I just finished writing a book about my basement, the world's greatest basement? It's going to be a bestseller. So does that mean you're you're not going to torture me at the end of the show? Oh, hell no. I've got a whole month's worth of this stuff. Whoever is giving you the book for this must be stopped. <laughs> <laughs> I don't know who it is. And I'm going to say this. I don't know who you are. I don't know where you are. But I will find you. And I will stop I, you. I wouldn't worry about it. He doesn't even want to leave his compound. <laughs> what is that from from uh, Taken? The speech from Taken. Oh yeah, and and so many other spoofs. It's it's almost it's almost climactic. There it is. I don't know who you are. I don't know what you want. But if you're looking for a ransom, I can tell you I don't have any money. But what I do have are a particular set of skills, skills I have acquired over a very long career, skills that make me a nightmare to people like you. If you let my daughter go now, that'll be the end of it. I will not look for you. I will not pursue you. But if you don't, I will look for you. I will find you and I will kill you. Now, that should that is a speech that should be given by every Muppet at some point or another. Oh, especially uh, the Swedish chef. Yes. <laughs> or Peppy the rat. Or the so, prawn. Peppy the prawn. Now, when we had all of this time that you were uh, off gallivanting with your new schedule. I know. It was awesome. I was reading comics. You were reading comics. Uh, and normally... We've been doing this, uh, by the way, uh, coming up, we will be starting our 14th year. Next month is our 13th anniversary because we started this in 2010. And for years, we've been saying, oh, we're going to keep track of the stuff we read. And then we'll do a best of. Sure, we will. To kind of counteract the thing you don't like about Festivus. You feel that Festivus is negativity. And then I said, well, then let's do a best of for positivity and we never keep track no not really because that you know the thing is is i'm always constantly weighing what i'm going to keep what i'm going to sell what i'm missing so this year i actually well i didn't do it however what i did <laughs> i do, did I what i did track. do is what you see here's the other thing too is like a lot of times you think oh yeah that book came out in march no, it was late. It came out in June. No, wait, it was canceled five times, and I just reordered it for the sixth. <laughs> Adam Stranger Omnibus, I'm looking at you. I, I honestly didn't want to order the Omnibus because I figured that would guarantee that some bitch would ship. But but then you wouldn't have it. Yeah, so I did it. Any, and, and more importantly, at, at I mean, the half price, they're offering it because they're like, yeah, well, we got to do it. Otherwise, no one's going to buy it. Anyways. I went through my discount comic book service, actual invoices of stuff I got. And I went through and I looked and I said, 
okay, that's the book that stood out, which to me was much more interesting because, first of all, it shook up my memory as to when things come out. Because most of the time, my biggest problem is, is like, I may really dig a miniseries, but I don't read it till I get all the issues. Or a graphic novel may come out and I'm like, well, does that really count? Because it's of stuff that came out earlier. So I figure if it came out that month, it would work better. And I ended up, instead of like the top 10, I've got like the one for every month I like. And then, of course, there were a few months where it was tough. And I was like, okay, these are like follow-ups or runner-ups that uh, I enjoyed but didn't quite make. Like if I had to keep the top 12 and go sit on an island somewhere, that would be these would be the 12 I'd probably take with me. How did you decide with yours? I actually have a spreadsheet that I kept all year. Ooh, fancy. Yep. And at the end of the month, I would go, what did I like the most this month? And sometimes I would have just one and sometimes I had two. So I thought what we could do is go through and give an hour's worth of our favorite comics for the year. Now, here's the other thing about mine. Most of my stuff I read as collected editions. So while the comics may have come out before this last year, I didn't read the collected edition until last year. Now, these are just collected editions and stuff that came out last year. I didn't go into it could have gotten really messy with me saying well you know i finally read night rider the uh the western ghost rider reprints and i really like those add them to the list but Corey, they came out in 1968 don't care i didn't read them till last year no i'm not doing that but if it was collected last year and i read it last year it's on my list there are also a couple series that I read in big bunches that came out last year. That's in there, too. Uh, a one shot or two. Stuff like that. So. Okay. Well, to get through it all. Let's just do a quick recap of it. And because obviously, if you are that interested in odds are, we probably have talked about it when we did our, rev our review show or our preview shows. We might have reviewed it. And more importantly, you can probably go out and find it because it's not like, yeah, you should go out and find yourself a mint copy of uh, these fantastic four, uh, 48 to 50, the first silver surfer, a couple of hundred thousands of dollars. But uh, <laughs> sorry, we meant to get to it way back in 67 when it first came out. But OK, shall I begin? Sure, because I'm feeling timeless. And that's exactly what it was in January. The first thing that I enjoyed was Timeless. And of course, another one just came out now. What they're doing is they're Kang is up to something. And as he's working his plans for whatever he's doing, he kind of ends up showing off what's coming up in the upcoming year. And of course, for those of us reading it, you're like, okay, that looks cool. That looks cool. Especially if you're reading the book, sometimes it's like way out of context. So when you actually get to it, I recommend keep your copy aside and then reread it because then you'll, you'll, it'll, I think I got more enjoyment out of rereading it the second time around. 
And then, of course, a new timeless just came out this year. So I'm thinking if they do that every year, this could be a lot of fun for Marvel. See how long they go. They did it. There were, I'm counting at least eight variants, including a second and third print of this, written by Jed McKay, artist Kev Walker, Greg Land, Mark Bagley. So I would imagine none of these are like super pricey, except when you start getting into the incentive variants, like the 1J with, uh, what's the character from Loki? The, the little button. Did you see Loki? I have not watched it yet. I'm okay. sorry. There's a, there's a animated clock that kind of talks Loki through the time variance authority. And uh, that variant seems to be the one that everybody loves. So, but that was my pick in January. Um, I just have a list here, so I'm going to go down my list. Uh, first is That Texas Blood, which is written by Chris Condon, drawn by Jacob Phillips. It is a series from Image that is set in a Texas town and is about different crimes that have happened. They change perspective for each story. The main story last year was about a blizzard that hit. Because, yes, certain parts of Texas do get blizzards. And during this blizzard, there is a killer on the loose. It was a fantastic story. Kept me on the edge of my seat every issue. Uh, absolutely loved this book. It's uh, their third story. They're starting their fourth story now. Cannot recommend this book enough. Absolutely love it. Made me a huge fan of the writer, Chris Condon, who you may hear about later in the show. Joe? In February, I picked Justice League vs. Legion of Superheroes. I like Mark Bagley's stuff. I know there's a big fan. Not, not Mark Bagley, I'm sorry. Michael Brian Bendis with art by Scott Galeski. Galuski, sorry, I don't have my readers with me again, reading really tiny print. Boy, there is a people that just think Brian Michael Bendis is like the Antichrist of comics. Anything he writes, I hate the Justice League. I hate the Legion of Superheroes. The problem I find is that the Legion of Superheroes is a very dated concept. Most of the people that are fetching, they don't like Legion of Superheroes, are people who didn't like it before Keith Griffith got a hold of it way back in the 80s. It's like, it's over with. Go back and reread your stuff. Let us people who enjoy it go with it. This was a six-issue six series. It tied into some of the other things going on in DC Universe. It wasn't obvious to me that it tied in because I don't read a lot of DC comics. But I did enjoy the new take on the Legion of Superheroes. I liked how the Justice League interacted with them. I did read it as it came out monthly. So again, it finally came out in, see, started, like I said, in February, ended in March. I believe the trade's been solicited as well. So you should be able to go pick it up and enjoy it for what it is. Or if you hate Michael Bendis, don't, you know. <laughs> It's kind of like you guys are so pissy about, I ain't not my legion. Well, guess what? You're never going to get a legion if that's the way you're going to be. <sighs> Sorry, that was more negative than I meant it to be. But I enjoyed it, and I enjoy 
Brian Michael Bendis as a writer, so I tend to follow him wherever he ends up going. Corey? Uh, the next book I have is Astro City Metro Book. There have been two volumes already, but I just have volume one by, because that's the only one I've read so far, by Kurt Busick and Brent Anderson. This reprints the Astro City series. It reprints the first series, which was a six six issue, and for the second series, issues one through 12, as well as a one-half issue that was done for Image that there for a while was worth a lot of money. This is the story of Astro City, which is kind of like New York or Metropolis in the Marvel and DC universes, where this is where most of the heroes are. But it's told from the perspective of different people. It's not an it's not a Justice League or a Spider-Man. It's okay, we're going to tell you the story of this person whose life was affected by this hero. We're going to tell you about this hero, but only one aspect of them, and on and on and on. It is a very different way of telling superhero stories. Brent Anderson has been around in comics since uh, I think the first thing I ever saw Brent do was Kazar the Savage back in the late 70s. His art is... Not photorealistic, but much more realistic than superhero art normally is. He doesn't exaggerate figures. He just draws people as people. This is a series that's been around for a while. It is bounced from Image to Homage to DC to Vertigo to back and forth and back and forth. It's now at Image, and it's now being collected in nice, big, thick trade paperbacks. Such a joy to have it in these books, putting it in the order that the stories are supposed to be told in, and nice that it's kind of all getting put in one place. Absolutely love this book. Joe and I have talked about it for years. So for someone like me who has the original trades, it's probably better in this format because, like you said, it is more chronological. Yes. And also... You don't have, okay, these trades are from Image, and these are from Homage, and these are from Vertigo, and these are from Black Label, and these are from this. Nope, it's all, boom, going to be in How one. How many of these books have come out so far? Two are out so far. The third one is supposed to be coming out within the next uh, month or two. Okay. See, I didn't, I have the original trades, and I absolutely love them. I think I'm going to switch to this format because I'll probably love it even more. And I think everything except maybe some of the latest stuff was has been published. But you know me, I want it all. Yep. In March, I had Doctor Strange number one. This is the one where Doctor Strange died in a miniseries and Kalia took over. Jed McKay, Marcelo Friera is the art. Absolutely loved it because... Clea was basically not Dr. Strange. She did not take crap. And people would think, well, you're going to do this because you're the good guy. No, I'm not. Bam. And she'd blow people away. Absolutely stunning art. She's beautiful as the Sorcerer Supreme. And, of course, we already know 
Doctor Strange coming back. Duh. Because we've already solicited for number one already for the new series. I hope they keep her around because I really enjoyed the no take nonsense attitude she had as a Sorcerer Supreme. She's not, it, it almost got to be too much, but it kind of dialed down because we're, it's weird because we already know the ending. Dr. Strange is coming back, but the ending books haven't shipped yet. The final parts of the story. So it's just a case where, yeah, they changed the sandbox, but it's being restored somehow. And I love Doctor Strange, but I, I almost kind of wish they were going a little farther with her as Sorcerer Supreme. But these are probably out. I think the second volume of the run was just solicited this month in previews. And none of them are tremendously expensive, barring incentive variants, so you should be able to find them fairly easy. Uh, honorable mention, of course, was Overstreet's Guide to Lost Universe hardcover that came out. At least I got it that month because I ordered the signed version. And, of course, we've visited a few times in a podcast, and we still got half of it to go. So we'll be talking more about that as uh, 2023 goes on. What you got next, Mr. Strode? The Simpsons Treehouse of Horror Omnibus. Actually, it's called the Simpsons Treehouse of Horror Ominous Omnibus. <laughs> this collects a number of stories from the Simpsons Treehouse of Horror. It does not collect them the way a Marvel or DC or other omnibus does with here's issue one, issue two, issue three, issue four. It is just a whole bunch of stories. They've got separate themes. This is a slip cased hardcover with a die cut cover. It is oversized. It is beautifully packaged. And it's also reminds me the Simpsons Treehouse of Horror comic was one that came out once a year, usually had a theme of some kind, and used a lot of different artists matching their style to The Simpsons, such as Sergio Aragones, or Mike Mignola, or some underground artists. It was it was a treat every year, because it's, oh cool, we're going to get Evan Dorkin doing a Simpsons comic. Or you know, the I always point toward uh, Sergio Aragones doing a Simpsons comic. And they would be horror stories. They would have that classic uh, Treehouse of Horror humor slash twist to them. But this book is beautiful. The art is blown up a little bigger so you could get more detail. They did a wonderful job of picking out the best stories by the artists that you know. It's just, it's a, such a great package. The Simpsons comic, in some ways, was as good as the Simpsons TV show, to the point where there are things I remember from the Simpsons comic where I go, well, that was an episode. <laughs> And I'll look and I'll go, no, that that was one of the comics. It wasn't an actual episode. And Bill Morrison, who was the final editor of Mad when it was a with new material, 
That was a travesty that he got let go. He was the one who ran that comic for pretty much its entire run. I, the other thing is they're putting out Simpsons trade paperbacks. They've done that all along. I wish they'd put out some nice, big, thick Simpson omnibuses because it was such a fantastic comic. It's rare that you get a TV tie-in comic that is that good. But the Simpsons were able to have a tie-in comic for over 15 years, that was just fantastic and so fun to read. The Treehouse of Horror is the same. Well worth the money. It's a beautiful package. I've got it up on a shelf. A lot of my omnibuses, it's like, okay, I need to file this away because I've only got so much shelf space. But the Simpsons one, that's it's such a beautiful book. It's right there on the shelf. I'm looking at it now. Ah, what a great package. Joe? In April... From Dark Horse, Chivalry. Neil Gaiman wrote it, Colleen Doran illustrated it, and it is absolutely fantastic. And an elderly British widow buys what turns out to be the Holy Grail from a secondhand shop, setting off an epic visit from an ancient knight who lures her with ancient relics and hope for winning the cup. It's nothing sordid, but it's just a fantastic story. Colleen outdid herself on the art. She also says if you actually get a chance to see the art in person, it is much more 3D, much more vibrant in person. That just doesn't translate when you go to the book. Nevertheless, Neil Gaiman wrote a fantastic story. Colleen hits it out of the park. They've collaborated before, of course, in Troll Bridge, Snow Glass Apples, which are, are fun. But this one is, well, let's put it this way. It's so good. Whoever's got my copy, I would love it if you'd give it back to me so I could read it. Because <laughs> I borrowed it out, and it just, it just whoever's got it is just loving it. So I think one of my daughters. A follow-up for me was from AWA Hit Me by Christina Faust and Priscilla Petralitis which was just a phenomenally crazy story just finished up in July. I believe there is a trade paperback out. And of course I've got, I, what I didn't realize I have other Chris Christmas stuff lying around. I just got to get it all together and read it, but you know, a little more edgier, but I enjoyed it. So, and I've raved about it before and that's all I'm going to say. What you got next, Mr. Strode? Well, as long as you're talking about Krista Faust, um, novel she has written that i could not have loved more also from hard case crime which published the uh hit me are mm. money shot and chokehold got, got them both they're sitting here on my shelf so I'm amazed good. i have them no i mean when i read this book i went out and i i just went to ebay and i picked up some cheap copies to read and of course i've i know what's that disease you got where you got more books than you'll ever hope to read in a lifetime yeah yeah, I don't, I don't like to think about that. I, I I'm just gonna keep reading. So, but they're on the they're on the uh, they're on my shelf. Speaking of uh, speaking of uh, books like that, this is not a comic, but it's a research kind of a history book, and it's called Dirty Pictures: How Rebels Invented Comics. One of the things that I find fascinating is the whole birth 
and the run of underground comics. Underground comics were a most people think of them as a 60s phenomenon, but they went into the 70s and then by the 80s, they kind of became ground level and then kind of merged into sort of the direct market in a lot of ways. But in the beginning, underground comics were printed in were, were printed by people who were comic publishers. They were distributed mostly in uh, record stores and head shops, which were drug paraphernalia stores that also sold things like blacklight posters. And and if you weren't around in the 60s and 70s, the idea of a head shop's kind of weird because now when you go to a place where they sell drug paraphernalia, it's very corporate. But back then it was just, dude, I just got stuff here. How much is it? I don't know. It's written by Brian Doherty. It is a... It's a great way to understand the underground comics movement. The subtitle is How an Underground Network of Nerds, Feminists, Misfits, Geniuses, Bikers, Potheads, Printers, and Intellectuals, and Art School Rebels Revolutionized Art and Invented Comics. C-O-M-I-X. Undergrounds called themselves Comics, C-O-M-I-X, because they had stuff that could not be printed due to the comics code stories about drugs stories about sex uh, stories about biker gangs uh, on and on and on this is a fantastic book and while it's not the best book i've ever read on underground comics that would be the story of the air pirates that fanographics did years ago this is the best book that's available in print right now joe Next up, Flashpoint Beyond. I picked this up. The other Flashpoints were fine, but there was something that got me on this series when essentially Thomas Wayne discovers that everything he worked for on Flashpoint didn't take or didn't work, and he's off to deal with it. There's a scene where somebody from Dark Crisis comes over, and I can't remember who because it's been a while since I, I read this all, and tries to recruit him to come work with him. But he's so single-minded in terms of wanting to restore the original timeline and getting his son back that he kind of blows them off. Even though it's like, well, if we don't do this, nothing's going to matter. And he's like, I don't care. This is what I'm doing. And I just happen to love that singleness of mind of, of purpose and i hope his character stays around somehow because it's just so refreshing to see how they how they played him off there's tons of covers available with this including the cardstock variant for a buck more none of them are extremely expensive so you should be able to pick it up. Jeff Johns wrote it, of course, which is why it probably was so good. He did have help with Tim Sheridan and Jeremy Adams. And I can't make out the art. Mike Jannon and something Zermonico. Single word. I don't know if that's a studio or somebody. Gary Frank jumps in. Mike J Michael Jenkins jumps in. Just a lot of fun. I enjoyed this 
more than I enjoyed Dark Crisis. And it was neat because they were both kind of going on at the same time. I don't think Dark Crisis refers to Flashpoint, but Flashpoint definitely was occurring during it. And uh, I'm not going to tell you what happened, but it was a fun read for me. And I do like to take that Jeff had on Thomas Wayne. Honorable mentions were Amazing Spider-Man number one. because I absolutely love Spider-Man. I do like the idea that they, whatever Parker did was so bad that nobody wants to talk to him anymore. And I don't even recall if they... Did they ever reveal what it was, or is that? They're crazy? revealing it at the end of Dark Web. Okay, because I'm not buying Dark Web. I bought the trade, so I'm gonna have to wait for that. <sighs> Anyways, the other honorable mention was War of the Realms Omnibus, which was again I picked up the regular series. I didn't quite understand what was going on, but as I reread the complete Thor by Jason Aaron, I understood the significance of War of the Realms. And then as I read it. It's got the same problem a lot of omnibuses does. It's got the main miniseries and then goes in all the crossovers. So if you read the main miniseries and then you've, you'd already know it's over with, it kind of takes some of the fun out of the rest of the series. But I read it more when I got to, I think, issue five or six reprinted omnibus. I stopped and I re- went and read all the tie-ins. And by God, it was, it felt like a war of the realm. It really had I been reading this from the original run of Thor and, and stuck with it, I probably would have picked up the entire crossover because it was such a slow seven-year buildup, and the omnibus was fantastic to read. What you got next, Mr. Corey? Um, Aftershock Comics puts out a number of these larger-size prestige format one-shots. There was one last year that I I think I even twisted Butch's arm to buy it, and it's called Hell is a Squared Circle. It's by Chris Condon. Wow, I think I mentioned him already. And Francesca Biaglini. Hell is a Squared Circle is a crime novel that happens to be set in the world of pro wrestling. Um Ted, the Irish Muska, is a third-tier wrestling heel with a problem. He is behind on his rent, child support, and his career, but he thinks he can change things. He he attempts to take control of his life. His actions leave him with blood on his hands. He's on the run from the authorities. This is a crime story set in the world of pro wrestling by somebody who understands that world. He understands smaller federations. He understands how those things work but it's also a fantastic crime story. I'm a big fan of a well-done crime story or a well-done detective story. This is one of those well-done crime stories. They could easily have filmed this back in the 40s, and it would have been a film noir. 48 pages. It's a one-shot. It's a done-in-one. I loved reading this it's one of those comics that i've read more than once the only thing about it is if you don't read a lot of indie books the art is going to throw you because it's a very expressionistic comic and the color scheme helps tell the story the color scheme is nowhere near realistic you're going to read it and go why is it like this what it is you're it's showing you the inside of this character's mind and how he perceives things 
but Chris Gordon has become a writer who, no matter what he does, I'm going to follow him wherever he goes. Because with this and that Texas blood, I have become a huge fan. Joe? I'm in the month of June, and in June came out 8 Billion Genies. And That's such a fun book. Oh, isn't it brilliant? And the I, I love the fact that, okay, the first one is, okay, eight minutes, then eight hours, then mm-hmm. eight days, then eight weeks, then eight months, then eight years. Oh, yeah. What a cool idea. And we're not, as I said, I haven't read the finale of it. But it's been one of those books that's on my must-read as soon as I get it out of the box. Charles Sola, Ryan Brown. It's, I believe the trade's been solicited already. You know it's good when Image did four printings of number one. So finding a first print may be a little more expensive than you think. I may cash all mine in once I once they're done and just get myself the trade because I could see myself rereading this. It's like Corey said, 8 billion people, 8 billion genies. We all get one wish and it does not go the way you think. It's very well thought out. I have no idea where they're going with it. I don't know why the genies are doing what they're doing. There's no nefariousness about it. Matter of fact, any, of the consequences that seem to happen to the main characters are because of people's wishes, not because the genies are some type of uh, ulterior motive. And again, we haven't gotten to the end of the story, so we'll wait and see where we get going, but definitely recommend picking this one up. Not too late to find them. And like I said, the trades. the funny thing is a lot of the things that I've been reading like this, the trades have just been solicited. So you, you got a chance to jump on, some of the fun. What you got next, Mr. S? I have what looks like it's going to become an annual tradition. Marvel had an omnibus. Marvel, June 1962. They did a, uh, I think it was what, July 1961. June 1962 is the next in this series. And what it is, this is every comic that Marvel had on the shelves in June of 1962, which started with Amazing Fantasy number 15. It then goes to the other stuff that they had at the time, such as Tales to Astonish 35, which was an Ant-Man story, Journey into Mystery 83, which was a Thor story, Let's see, Fantastic Four number six, Incredible Hulk number three, and then the other books that you don't know as much about, such as Kid Cole Outlaw, Gunsmoke Western, Patsy and Hetty, uh, Millie the Model, Linda Carter, Student Nurse, Patsy Walker. It's just a cross-section of everything Marvel put out that was on the stands that month. They're doing it again for this year, except it's going to be 1963, and it will have the first issues of the X-Men and the Avengers because they came out in the same month. And I I think it'll be fun if they just do one every year. I don't know if they'll be able to do that or if there's that much demand for it. I do see that this one is heavily discounted on Amazon and different uh, different comic websites 
but I love these books. They reprint everything, including the text stories, any letter pages, um, any house ads. They don't have the regular ads, but they do have the house ads. So you can see how Stan Lee very slowly over time created that you need to buy this book, true believer. <laughs> Whereas it started with these are the books that we published this month. <laughs> very staid, very, very droll, very, very corporate in a lot of ways. But as time went on, he he developed that persona. This is before that persona had developed, but you can start to see hints of it here and there. Joe? In July, I got my Dark Crisis number one, and you know I love a good crisis. However, that only became my runner-up. What I really, really loved was Dark Crisis Young Justice, a six-issue companion series by... Megan Fitzmartin and Laura Brega. I loved Young Justice when it came out. And the gist of the story is, is that everybody's forgotten Robin, Superboy, and Impulse. But during the crisis, they came back. Or did they? Did they ever leave? It's a bit of a mystery. It's a bit of a retelling of continuity. As we all know, the the uh, multiverse is back and this is kind of bringing that little corner of the multiverse back i enjoyed the heck out of it almost more than i did the actual dark crisis itself and as it sits i haven't was it seven issues of dark crisis i know it's out i haven't read the last issue yet it's sitting over at my partner pat's house because i have my stuff shipped to him now and uh as we're recording this, it's Martin Luther King Day, and I was going to go over and get it because I'm off, but that's like, nah, nah, I, I, I come over Tuesday, and I'm like, mm, oh, he's a banker. He's got the day off, so he probably went to the casino with his girlfriend. I'm sorry, what were we talking about? Oh, Young Justice, Dark Crisis. Yeah, probably out in a trade. I don't know. I picked it up as a series. Tons of variants with it. I mean, it, I don't even need to say that anymore, but you should be able to find it. Uh, I'm just looking at the prices and really none of them are super, super expensive. But I do hope they follow up and continue somewhere with a Young Justice book or maybe call it Batman Young Justice, DC. Maybe why don't you just every title just put Batman on it? <laughs> Batman, the Justice Society of America. And that way everybody gets fun with it. As I mentioned, uh, runner up was Dark Crisis, but uh, Young Justice outdid them all. What's up, Mr. CS? Uh, next on my list is a series from Image. A lot of Image on my list, which does not surprise me anymore. 30 years ago, I would have went, what? Stillwater by Chip Zdarsky and artist Ramon K. Perez. Stillwater starts with a our lead character getting a letter that they have a inheritance and they need to go to the town of Stillwater to pick it up. When they get to, as they're going to that town, it's weird how no one seems to know it exists, but the map that they got shows them the way. Then when they get there, they realize the town has a big secret. That is just the first of a number of revelations 
that this series has. It's going to be ending. Let's see. I believe it ends next month or the month after. Yep, the last issue is issue 16. No, issue 18. And it's going to be all wrapped up. And as I'm reading it, I can't believe they're going to be able to wrap it all up in one issue. So it better be double size. But again, it's not a normal comic. It's almost a horror story. And it's one of those that crept up on me. I didn't expect that I would like it. But I was given the first issue and it hooked me. And then, oh, got to read it, got to read it, got to read it, got to read it. And it's one of those things that I like about Image in that they're willing to give books that are not immediately commercial a chance because they're very creator based. Chip Zdarsky has had a lot of big selling books, went to Image, said, here's my next package. They went, well, we look and Chip Zdarsky books sell. So this one will probably sell as well. I can't see this being at Marvel ever. I could only see this being at DC back during the heyday of Vertigo. I don't think that they would publish something like this now. And it makes me glad that Image changed from just another superhero publisher to now where they're very creator focused and publish all sorts of stuff. Joe? We're in August. Another of summer event book came out that I enjoyed. Axe, Judgment Day, Avengers, X-Men's, Eternals. This is by writer Kieran Gillen and Valero <laughs> Shiti, I guess. I don't know. Sorry. Sorry, Valero. I'm not sure how to pronounce that. But this was kind of a accumulation of different storylines in the Avengers, in the X-Men, and the Eternals all crashing together. The Eternals, of course, have dis- if you haven't been reading the series, it's just wonderful. Makes them actually interesting, much, much better than the movie. Part of the charm is that they discover, well, not charm, but the Eternals discover that, yeah, they're, they are eternal, but every time they die and come back, it costs a human. The Eternals work on deviants. Well, they suddenly decide that the X-Men are deviants. Why? Because they've discovered a secret to immortality. They're mutants. They shouldn't. We fight deviants. We got to go to war with them. Oh, by the way, the Avengers apparently are inside a dead celestial that's not so dead. And the Eternals worship celestials. So while the Avengers are trying to keep these two apart, they also get drawn quite into it. And the Judgment Day occurs once the Celestials woken up and starts judging people. There's probably 101 crossovers with this. I stuck with just the main series and I wasn't disappointed only six issues just wound up in December. Trades are probably already in the solicitation. And of course, I will pick up everything once I see a good old omnibus on the route. Because I would I do like reading the crossovers. I just was not gonna spend all the money buying them. But the main series was was brilliant and a lot of fun. And I it'll be interesting to see if it continues, because as far as I know. I didn't see, well, X-Men goes on and Avengers is winding up. 
I think it's winding up. You can never tell with Jason Aaron. Yes, it is winding up, and they oh. will be announcing who's taking over the Avengers soon. And I really, I'm, I'm waiting for the collected editions on those. Not the individual six-issue trade, but the big, big ones. I don't think I'm going to wait for the omnibuses on that. I don't see an Eternal series. No, it's, it's over, I believe. So this is the this again was the the build up to the Eternals, and they're still out there. We'll just see if anybody picks up the ball and runs with it. What's next for you? Another Marvel omnibus. This one is Black Panther: The Early Years, and with Black Panther having a movie that has made so much money, Marvel has found that the Black Panther omnibuses sell very well. As well, they've done the modern Black Panther stuff, but this is the book that collects the original stuff. His appearances in the Fantastic Four, his appearances in the Avengers, his appearances here and there through the Marvel Universe. You know, uh, he was a guest star in Captain America. He was a guest star in Daredevil, etc. Until we get to the Don McGregor run, and it reprints the entire run of Jungle Action that Don McGregor did, which now has been reprinted more times. I imagine with the reprints, it has sold better as collected editions than it did as a regular comic because it was always on the edge of cancellation back then, but it's been, uh, printed as, uh, the Marvel masterworks. It's been printed as an Epic collection. It's been printed as the mini, um, Marvel masterworks. It was printed as a trade paperback for bookstores and now in a Marvel omnibus, I'm a huge fan of Don McGregor. And I like the fact that they said, okay, here are all the appearances leading up to this. They also, in the introduction, talk about how the historical aspect of the Black Panther being the first black superhero at Timely slash Atlas slash Marvel, but also how they changed his name due to the political Black Panther movement and then changed it back because it's like, no, we own this. We don't need to do that. And then Don McGregor's historic run, which it, one of the highlights of Marvel in the 70s, just a brilliant, brilliant run that built Wakanda in such a way that it became more than just, okay, it's another hidden kingdom story nope he gave it he gave it heft he gave it history he gave it politics and just a fantastic fantastic run of books joe in september got the long-awaited finale of the gwen stacy aborted miniseries yes that's on my list too eyes gwen stacy number one yeah, it was a lot of fun to sit down and read the whole thing. They basically, you know, we met Gwen in Amazing Spider-Man 31, but her life began before that. We, yeah, if you want to call it an origin of a normal person, but we discover more about her. Top of her class, star the police captain, as her friend Harry Osborn calls her, the beauty queen of Standard High. It's just a lot of fun, an interesting series. It was good to see it finished. 
a lot of creators on it. Christona Engage, Todd Nanook. And it was just finally good to see it finished. I'll let Corey talk more about it. The follow-up for me was something I've been meaning to get for quite some time, and I finally did. Animal Man Omnibus. Have not read it. I enjoyed the original run of Animal Man. It was Grant Morrison and Chaz. Turog. Thank you. Thank you. I can, can remember his last name. It's one of those runs that even my daughters haven't read, and they love everything Grant Morrison. So I imagine that'll be the next to disappear, just like my chivalry did. <laughs> the other thing I loved about the Gwen Stacy, when you go back and read those those Spider-Man stories that she's in, under Steve Ditko, she was very much like um, Liz, Liz Stewart was in the early Spider-Man, where she's kind of the, the bitchy girl. And then once John Romita takes over, her personality completely changes. Yeah. <laughs> and she becomes the typical Stan Lee girlfriend who, why is Peter acting so strange? What's wrong with Peter? Oh, my gosh. And I hate Spider-Man. Can't well, you understand she, that, Peter? She didn't hate Spider-Man until her father died. Yeah. And then, of course, she went up and slept Norm Osborn. No, that, that, no. That happened. It happened. <laughs> no. That's, that's sorry to happen. <laughs> but you the thing cannot is, mopey that out of existence. I, no, they did. <laughs> it happened. You haven't read the Spider-Man tie-in to, uh, to the Avengers X-Men Eternals thing, so. I'll get around to it, okay? Actually, they now, they, now they you mopey. got me. They might be it out of existence. Now I'll, I probably will go out and just buy it because you got my, I hate it when I miss stuff like that. Next, you're going to be telling me the Gwen Stacy clone was, was a high evolutionary fake out or something. For about three years. Yeah. Okay. But the other thing is Gwen Stacy until all of this retcon stuff hadn't, you know, you knew nothing about her. They never said what her major was in college. She was just in college. It wasn't until this that we found out that she was um, a gifted student. Because, again, in, in Spider-Man, you never saw her in class. You never saw what she wanted to be when she was done with college. Mary Jane, you know, she wanted to be an actress and a model. Gwen Stacy, she just wore go-go boots and cried a lot. So that's one of the reasons why I really like this story. They're kind of almost fixing the character, and especially with the Spider-Gwen stuff. They've given her a personality and a history and a past and, and everything like that. Um, I have two books in one here because it was a series that actually comes out in hardcover, and that is the Reckless books. We had two last year, Follow Me Down and The Ghost in You. Reckless is a series written by Ed Brubaker, drawn by Sean Phillips, the people who did Criminal, people who've done all sorts of great comics. They have moved to doing original graphic novels. They did two this year. And what it is, Ed Brubaker said he wanted to do a comic series that was a lot like those 50s and 60s uh, men's adventure novels where there was a detective or somebody who solved problems and 
they use that to sort of springboard into stories. There have been five. These are the last two for a while. If you, I often tell people, if you like the Rockford Files, you'll love these books. If you like detective stories, you'll love these books. If you like crime stories, you'll love these books. These Ed Brubaker and Sean Phillips, I don't care what they do, I'm going to read it. It's that simple. They are creators who have earned my trust. And if they were to start a miniseries and do four issues and then take three years before doing the last two, I'd be okay with that. Whereas with other creators, I'd go, I'm never reading any of their stuff again in regular comics. I'll just wait till things are collected because screw them. But these guys, they've earned that level of trust. Joe? In October... Came the long, long, long. Tell them how long, Corey. 30 years. Miracle Man number zero. Oh, I am so loving this series. You know, first of all, the original Miracle Man was amazing. When Neil Gaiman got a hold of it, he was taking it to the next level before. I, I I don't know what happened. Uh, uh, Eclipse going bankrupt, I think, was part of it. And then the ownership got beclumped and whatever. But it's all sorted out now. We're finally getting the story. They're repurposing. I, well, not repurposing. What do you say? Re, redoing the earlier issues. So don't dump your original ones. But they're coming out. The Zero started it. It got all excited. And if you really, really want to know what all the fuss is about, other than going out and find those extremely expensive issues, well, most of them, some of the earlier ones aren't, in November, I'll give you a little sneak peek, because one of the runner-ups was the Miracle Man Omnibus. Which is in my picks. Oh, yeah. So I'll let Corey talk more about that. But, yeah, the Miracle Man Zero, it was just so refreshing to finally get this. And, you know, I imagine as it goes on, I'll, I'll probably will review it and I'll talk more about it. But I'm really enjoying the series. I think I just read issue two. So you're not too far behind. And if you want, you can go ahead, jump on board with the zero, having never read the Alan Moore stuff, because you'll you'll still be able to follow along. Neil's making sure of that. What do you got next, Mr. Corey? Well, why don't I bring up the Miracle Man omnibus? Excellent idea. Miracle Man is a classic series. And you can't really discuss it without putting it in context. So in. We all know the character of the original Captain Marvel and how it went away in 1954. However, it was being reprinted in England. And was still a massive success. So what the publisher did was they changed it to Marvel Man. And it continued until the early 60s when it finally faded out. Then when Alan Moore started to become a name in England, they started a comic called Warrior. In Warrior was a little series you may have heard of called B for Vendetta. But the main superhero series was a revamp of Marvel Man by Alan Moore. 
And what it was, he took the idea that when the comic was canceled, the lead character quit turning into Marvel Man, but something happened for him to become Marvel Man again. And then Alan Moore, this was like 1982, Alan Moore said, if I'm going to do this, I want to do something different. So there was this time in the 80s when everybody said, well, what would superheroes be like in the real world? And Alan Moore grabbed that idea and used it. He explained why Marvel Man had gone away, why there was a Marvel Man, what happens if Marvel Man were to get his wife pregnant instead of the um, Mickey Moran who's the Billy Batson of the series and then just built and built and built and built and built. Um, Warrior was eventually fell apart, but over in America, Eclipse Comics had started reprinting Marvel Man. However, Marvel had said, well, over here, you can't call it Marvel Man. We own Marvel. And Alan Moore, who already hated Marvel by this point, they'd already broken agreements with him, was not happy about this, but they decided to go with Miracle Man. It started as a, they thought it was going to be a monthly comic. (laughs) Alan Moore did 16 issues. I will interject one thing that happened that was real interesting. People were so hyped up about Miracle Man, but a lot of the issues that shipped were damaged yes which because oh my gosh they were using in order to put it out at 95 cents when marvel comics were a dollar they used much much cheaper paper that did not ship well yeah and eventually they upgraded the paper and the comic became like all the other eclipse comics but what alan moore did was all right i own the copyright to this i'm going to hand off the copyright to the next creative team i will there was a couple of things i wanted to point out though in the whole publishing thing because i remember remember was it issue nine yes oh my god people went nuts why because they dared show an actual childbirth joe was that the first comic to show an actual childbirth I don't know, to tell you the truth. I just know it drove people crazy. No, it wasn't. Don McGregor's Sabre, also at Eclipse, had done it almost a year before. (laughs) So, And then, of course, the ones that are really expensive was when, oh, it's not Kid Miracle Man. One of the guys, it's kind of like what we've talked about, Injustice, Encourage, Irredeemable. This was like the first time we see what happens if it was young miracle man, young miracle man goes bad and it is so graphic and so crazy even to this day, but that is probably the single most expensive issue you'll find. I don't know if it's in the omnibus. Yes. Everything's in the omnibus. So yeah, you can go that route and they even refer to it in the new series. It's uh, so those are, those are like big controversies. That happened just in the original run. And now, like Corey said, Alan's like, he's done with it. 
Alan told his story. He picked the next writer, Neil Gaiman, before he was Neil Gaiman, before Sandman, even. Mm -hmm. And he said, all right, I'm handing the copyright over to Neil Gaiman. And what the idea was is Neil Gaiman would then tell his stories and he would hand the copyright off to the next person. However, Eclipse went out of business. Then Todd McFarlane swooped in, bought up all everything, everything from Eclipse, their back issues, all of their trademarks and copyrights. And then he and Alan Moore put together a deal where he would write an issue of Spawn. And in return, he would create a character for Todd McFarlane and Todd McFarlane would give him the rights to Miracle Man. Well, Todd changed his mind on that deal. Now, do you remember, though, where the Man of Miracles showed up? Uh, wasn't it Sam and Twitch? I think it was there. And also he had his own story in that 30th image hardcover, which everybody. First of all, it was late, if I recall. Right. And second of all, everybody was like, oh, Todd McFarlane doing the art. Well, he essentially did a panel of he didn't call him Miracle Man, called him the Man of Miracle. And then was like prose. And as far as I know, it's only available in that hardcover. It's never been yeah. reprinted outside of it. But it became this huge court fight. And Neil Gaiman and Joe Casada kind of worked out a deal where Neil Gaiman would work on a, a few Marvel books. And they would use the money from that for the court fight to get the Miracle Man rights back. And then Neil Gaiman, rather than passing on the rights to the next creator, has passed the rights on to Marvel. And it got even messier because the original creator of Marvel Man said, wait a minute. No one ever bought the rights from me. So that's why there's been this huge gap. But this collects all of the Miracle Man stuff that was done up to... The Silver Age, which is the story that Marvel is publishing, it is groundbreaking. It is amazing. It is Alan Moore from when he was kind of an unknown in the U.S. to when he was the biggest rock star comic writer in the U.S. And also Neil Gaiman from when no one knew who he was to when Eclipse went under just a fascinating story and one of the things that's going to happen as you read it is you're going to go well I, I, this this treads some ground that i've already know about the problem with that is this was such an influential story just like dark knight just like watchmen that people have redone it and redone it and stolen from it and borrowed ideas from it and etc 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 and anytime somebody does a Everything you knew about this character was wrong and turns the character super dark. This is where they got the idea from. This was the first book to do it. Joe, what was Alan Moore's second book to do the everything you know is wrong and turn the book super dark? Watchmen? Swamp Thing. Oh, that's right. And everybody forgets. he. Everybody remembers the story Anatomy Lesson, where we find out that, no, Alec Holland is not Swamp Thing. Alec Holland is dead. Swamp Thing just thought he was Alec Holland. Everybody forgets he did the issue before that wrapped up everything before that, where Swamp Thing is hunted down and killed. 
which is what he did with Captain Britain. His, Alan Moore's first issue of Captain Britain, Captain Britain is hunted, hunted down and killed. <laughs> so Swamp Thing sort of grabbed both of those ideas and crammed them into one. Uh, I absolutely adore this book. And Joe, we are over an hour. So what is your last book? Well, it's actually fortunate because I'm only on November, but remember what happened to me in December? Yes. Yeah, I didn't get my books. Uh, they did get reshipped. Thank you, Discount Comic Book Service. So I have nothing in December. November, quick stops number one. This is a return to the uh, few askew universe that Kevin Smith created. Basically, you're we're revisiting the guys in Quick Stop. And Kevin Smith writes it, Jeremy Schemer. Sorry. Simmer. Simser? I can't read it, but he knows who he is. Only three issues are out, four issues are coming, lots of different variant covers. If you like Kevin Smith's stuff, you definitely want to pick it up because it is real detailed, a lot of jokes, a lot of his types of humor. I lucked out because I was able to go see him when he toured through with Clerks 3. And when I got up to hit the restroom during a slow part, I did, they actually had signed copies available. So while I didn't pay to get the actual sign, you know, go see him like our good buddy Adam Vermillion did. I do have a signed copy as well. And there's a couple different variants to choose from. Runner up for the month, as I mentioned, Miracle Man Omnibus, and then Avengers versus X-Men Omnibus with all the goodness and the good crossovers and stuff. And usually what's fun with the omnibuses are they will also cover all the ads if it's different, some of the stories behind it, the press write-ups, and all the different variant covers as well. So that's one of the few I'm looking to read. Why I haven't read it yet? Or the Miracle Man or the aforementioned Animal Man? We'll get to that. Corey, what's your last one? My last one is a book from Tomorrow's. So it's not a comic, but if you're a comic book person, you need you owe it to yourself to read this. The Carlton Companion. Carlton was a comic book company that kind of puttered along for over 40 years. They started kind of illegally by printing magazines that had song lyrics in them. Now, today, you got websites that have song lyrics. And back when I was uh, first started buying albums, the albums would have the song lyrics in them. But this was before albums. This was when, you know, you could buy a single and they would print the lyrics for the songs. And they got in a lot of trouble because, hey, those lyrics are owned by the person who wrote the song. And eventually they worked out an arrangement. But there was a time when magazines that had song lyrics were huge money. And Carlton, because they had their own printing press, wanted to keep that press going. So they would print magazines during the day. After the song lyrics, it would be puzzle magazines and things like that. But they would print comics at night. The overnight would print comics. And they kind of puttered along through the 70s and then sputtered out in the 80s as newsstand distribution died. A lot of comic publishers 
died in the early 80s as newsstand distribution fell apart. This goes into the different editors they had, the different creators they had, the sort of, okay, here's when they tried superheroes. That didn't last. And then they sold well enough that DC came in, hired the editor, Dick Giordano, and all of the people who worked on his books. And here's when they got the Hanna-Barbera license. And here's why they lost it. Here's when they tried to come back in the mid-70s. And so much work has been done digging through business records, digging through local files, digging through what files are left of Carlton, digging through court records. It's one of the best researched books I've ever read about comics. And it tells the story of this little publisher that never really made it, but also was able to hang on for over 40 years. You know how who else is going to help you keep hanging on when you're out on the internet and trying to be safe, Joe? Oh, for 40 years? Well, no, not for 40 years, but they do hang on to keep you safe. And that is our sponsor. Our newest sponsor is NordVPN. Let's be honest, if you're out on the internet, you need a VPN to protect you. There's all sorts of things going on on the internet where people can track you, you could accidentally download a keylogger, all sorts of things. NordVPN gives the best security possible. It has a password manager which generates complex passwords, syncs across all your devices, stores your notes and credit card information. It also gives you 10 gigabytes of private cloud storage, um, secure files that backs up your data automatically. But the main thing it gives you is peace of mind. It gives you peace of mind when you're um, out on the internet, when you're streaming, when you're playing games, when you're listening to podcasts like this one. It gives you safety anywhere at any time. It protects your online activity. You get full access to all content. And if you use the link, go.nordvpn.net sh3ku, it'll take you to where you could get a great deal for a one-month plan, a two-year plan, a one-year plan. They are our newest sponsor. We're happy to have them. And if you would like to sponsor something here at any of the podcasts on the Solitaire Rose Network, you can. Just email me, network at gmail.com. Thanks. And while it feels like I've been doing podcasts for 40 years, it's only been 13, but here are all the other podcasts I do. The Solitaire Rose Radio Network is currently on a pause Basically because COVID-19 has made it so that uh, I have to work a lot of extra hours at both jobs. But you can still go and listen to my other podcasts. Now, you're probably listening to Crazy Comics and Stories, which is the main podcast. But on this same feed, K-R-A-Y-Z-C-O-M-I-X, is Solitaire Rose Radio, the East solo radio podcast that I do. Um, I've done interviews, I've done short stories, I've done all sorts of things, and you can get to it right here on this same feed. I also do a podcast called Novelcast, where I take the novels I've written and turn them into free audiobooks. That's over at novels.solitairerose.com. Dangerous Dan Moore and I, and of course Wolfie B. Bad, give you Bad Advice over at badadvice.solitairerose.com. You send in your questions, and we give you the aforementioned bad advice. 
and then myself and Adam Vermillion from For the Love of Comics do the Fantastic Forecast at fantasticforecast.solitairerose.com where we go through the issues of the Fantastic Four, four issues at a time, to give the plot and commentary on each issue. That's not all. Yes, I'm crazy. I still over at pwinsiderelite.com every week on Wednesday do a recap of the latest episode of AEW Dynamite. I write up what happened and then myself and Anthony Pyrus will do an audio. Now you can only listen to the audio if you're a member at pwinsiderelite.com and if you're a wrestling fan you should be where we then break down the episode, talk about what we liked, what we didn't like, give it a grade and let you know if you should have watched that episode. Those are the other podcasts here at the Solitaire Rose Radio Network. Thanks. And next week is the return of our retro reviews. We're still kind of we're still kind of getting back in the groove of things. I also want to announce that um, now that we are recording on Mondays, the podcast will be dropping on Mondays. I actually, the numbers are better when we drop it on Mondays. And uh, so we're moving back to Mondays. We're moving to Montana. Oh, I'm sorry. Wrong song. Oh, I wish we were moving to Montana. I'd love to grow me some dental floss. But But instead, we're going to be freaking and geeking. Joe, what are you freaking on? I got to admit, our original plans for this podcast were Corey and I and Butch were going to get together and go to Issues Needed because they're doing a dollar comic sale. And if you've ever been to Issues Needed, they have lots and lots of back issues. Well, it's not a dollar comic sale. It's a 50 cent sale. I know. And I was I was so what I was looking forward to is not first of all, getting together. I mean, we, we get we know we're getting together free comic book day and Black Friday. But it was so fun. I was actually looking forward to actually doing it beforehand. The weather we were a little worried about because it was it was supposed to be snowing, but it's actually raining right now, which and then it's going to get cold and snow. And we may at, it says we might get four inches, but the current forecast for us is. Where it's not going to be significant enough. It's just going to get cool and everything that's wet's going to freeze. So, got to keep an eye on the roof. Make sure there's no uh, ice dams, you know, the water backing up into the house. More importantly, if it does flow off the house, the ground's so solid that it would just flow into the basement. My cellar, my best cellar. So, I just spent a little time today making sure everything was at least a few inches off the ground. Still not as bad as our our poor people in California, even though this storm system is kind of part of what was going on in Florida. Even held down in Iowa, 150 miles south. They had like four tornadoes yesterday. Good grief. (sighs) Anyways, so little little freaking about that, a little disappointed. We're actually, we're having another meeting of the Corey Strode Memorial Luncheon tomorrow. So I imagine, Corey, do you have any question you'd like me to to raise with the uh, people who will be attending? I I always like asking, what's your favorite comic right now? Okay, maybe I'll do that. And then you and Butch are going to Issues Needed afterward. 
Maybe. I got I'll, I'll wait and see what what uh, what the weather's like. As I, you know, I'd, how many times do I say, "Oh yeah, it's just gonna be a little bit of snow," and if it ends up being itch lot of snow, nah, nah, I ain't, I ain't going nowhere. But I the if, reason we didn't go is Butch couldn't get away tonight. Yeah, I know. I'm trying not to be negative about it, but I was actually looking forward to it. But <sighs> oh, the other thing that's freaking me. Not so much freaking me, but boy, I know a lot of people are hating this. If have you seen the new packaging for Toy Biz, Corey? Uh, I saw your picture of it. Yeah, instead of having a blister pack where you can actually see the figure, it's going to be enclosed, no blistering. And and, and is it the reason for that that uh, to deter stealing or something? It's it's that I think it's cheaper because you're not you don't have to deal with plastic and packaging. But, you know, and as much as I understood why they were doing it, I was at Target earlier today and I saw the picture of it and I really it, it looks so cheap. I mean, I mentioned I had a picture of it and you got, you know, there's a picture of uh, first of all, you got uh, Moon Knight as Mr. Knight and then you have the She-Hulk from the show. And then next to it, you got some pictures from the what if. And what drives the creators nuts is, first of all, you're paying the same price. They're still $25 figures, but you don't get to see the figures because even looking through the blister pack, occasionally you'll see, well, this one's eyes are weird and, and you're not really sure what you're getting. And I'm sure there'll be people who will open up the blister and then, you know, take out what they want and seal it with a piece of shit and then sell them off. So even in the secondhand market, it's it's still going to be problematic. And I was tempted because they had Howard the Duck, as we saw in uh, the last series he was in, you know, where he's wearing the hat like a detective. I would love a Steve Gerber type Howard the Duck, that era art. But yeah, I, I, you know, I've, I have not been collecting a lot of action figures anyways. I think the last one I picked up was a John Constantine from the DC McFarland line. It was that or Grifter from Wildcats. And I wish I'd, well, it didn't matter. I can't find either of them now. So if I'd have picked up Grifter, I'd be crying that I didn't pick up John Constantine. So anyways, I don't like it. Um, but, you know, if they would do like they did, have you ever, Corey, walked over where the DVDs were or are and they have a big collector area where they're selling yeah. like $30 toys. Those are actually window boxes. So you can open it up and see the, fa- the package as well as close it up. And still, um, I would like to see that, but I don't know if next doing these figures now, I don't know if Hasbro wants to add another $5 figure and go any higher. I can't see these figures being played with. I think they're mostly for the adult collectors. But who knows? I just I don't know any kids who uh, would play with these anymore. Oh, well, that's their problem. Like I said, I don't buy a lot of these, but boy, I don't like it. That's pretty much it for me. Freaking Corey. What are you freaking on? I only have two things. Uh, First is, Joe, do you have the HBO Max? I does. Do you like yourself the Looney Tunes? Not anymore. Well, all of the ones from 1950 forward are gone. They removed them from the service. Now, the reason they did it 
is that they are going to be finding a way to monetize them. They removed over 250 of the Warner Brothers cartoons, pretty much every cartoon Warner Brothers made from 1950 onward. This doesn't mean that they're gone forever. There are a lot of people who are like, they've destroyed these. No, it's just they're not going to be on HBO Max anymore. And it's the same stupid shit Discovery's doing where it's okay. They're not making us any extra money on our streaming service. So we're going to try to put them on someplace else where we can get money from them. And they determine that these are the ones that the people want to see. Now, this doesn't mean you can't see them. You can. If you go to BTV, they show these in their two-hour cartoon block every day. I, If you've got the DVDs like I do, you can still see them. I bought the Warner Brothers Golden Collections as they came out because back then you didn't have streaming services. And I'm not one of those people who, well, everything's on streaming now. I'll get rid of my DVDs. No, I kept them because I don't trust companies. So they're going to show up somewhere where Discovery can make money off them. I imagine it's going to be uh, some sort of package with another streaming service or who knows. I also know that Discovery has pulled, as of last Friday, the fourth season of Snowpiercer, which is done, which completes the series. It's not going to be running on TNT, and they're going to look to sell that to some other streaming service. Discovery's purchase of Warner is worse than when AT&T bought it. It's worse than when uh, what was it? AOL bought it, in that the person who runs Discovery, which has a much smaller... Uh, their streaming service has one-tenth the number of subscribers as HBO Max. Their channels don't do as much business as all of the Time Warner ones, but everybody thinks, oh, because his stuff is so cheap, he makes so much more profit, he's going to make Warner Brothers profitable. His stuff is so cheap because it's shitty reality TV shows that cost nothing. And if you dig into the stuff on HGTV or Discovery, or the, the, his his reality shows, reality I put in quotes, are all fake. Pawn Stars is as scripted as anything else, but because they're a reality show, they don't have to pay writers. Or the uh, people buying houses shows, they don't have to pay the writers. Why? Because they're producers. Even though in a lot of them, I I actually watched an expose of the uh, home, the HG network shows where, you know, these people are buying a house and they go to different houses and it's all scripted. It's all scripted. The people who are on the shows have already bought the house. But because it's, quote, reality, they don't have to pay anybody anything. And he's do, going to do that with. The Warner Brothers. Right now, as of last Friday, there were no scripted series on TNT. None. Period. The only shows on um, TBS that are scripted are either ending or they're being sold off. He doesn't like scripted TV because it costs too much. You're seeing that across cable. 
look at USA Network. They don't have any scripted series there for a while. USA, some of their huge successes were shows like Suits or uh, what was the one with Bruce Campbell? Oh. Bird Notice. Oh, oh yeah, yeah, yeah. Or Psych. Stuff like that. It's all gone. Why? Well, you know, we can we can show we've got this movie catalog and we could show it and we could show off network reruns, et cetera, et cetera. Let's say they're show and they do this a lot. They're showing all of the Star Wars movies on TNT this weekend. Do I want to watch them all cut to shit where they've got 10 minutes of commercials per hour or. Well, I go to Disney Plus and watch them without commercials. Guess what I'm going to do? More and more cable TV, the, they're shocked that people aren't watching it, that people are cutting the cord. Well, why would you subscribe to cable TV when it's, oh, we're showing Wonder Woman again. We're showing uh, Batman versus Superman again. We're showing it with 10 minutes of commercials every hour when I can pop in a DVD or go to HBO Max and watch it without all those interruptions. Uh, Second thing I am freaking on, Joe, do you remember the artist Jason Pearson? Most people know him from the Dark Horse series Body Bags. Yeah, yeah. Uh, Jason Pearson passed away. I'm going to read what Richard Starkings, who runs Comic Craft Lettering, wrote about him. Jason Pearson has died, an infamously unfulfilled Kickstarter and his rude treatment of talented artists last year really soured him to me, but I know he had dealt with many demons that he struggled to overcome. I also know that I always thought he was talented. I wish he'd been more prolific. I think the man let down the artist. I know people loved him. They have my sympathy and he passes with my respect for his talent. And I completely agree with that. He was a guy, I loved his work on Legion of Superheroes. I loved Body Bags. I didn't contribute to his Kickstarter because Kickstarter's kind of, Kickstarter, it's, it's too much of a gamble for me. It's too much of a gamble for me at times. I've contributed to some Kickstarters 15 years ago, it feels like. That never, what? yeah, it was. It was uh, not 15 years ago. It was 10 years ago. I contributed to this wrestling Kickstarter where it was a Hollywood producer. He was going to do a 26-episode wrestling series that you would get on your DVD, et cetera, et cetera, et cetera. He got the money. Then he got a movie deal. Gone. And you had to fight for years to get that money refunded. Um, but Jason Pearson has passed away and I agree that he was a great artist, but a jerk online. There were times when he would just spout off and tell other artists that they weren't good enough to be in comics or that they hadn't paid their dues like him. And it would be one thing if he was putting out work, but it was stuff where, dude, you haven't put out a comic in seven years and i think that there are a lot of people like that in the creative world who and everybody says they have their demons i i 
prefer to call it mental illness. They have some sort of mental illness that makes it so they cannot create. And it's a shame. It is a shame when someone's mental illness gets to the point where they're unable to do the things that they enjoy or that they're good at. Joe, what are you geeking on? I'm sorry. I'm just, I was digging up my uh, Looney. I still have my Looney Tunes Golden Collection on DVD. Not to mention a ton of VHS. (laughs) So, uh, anyways, I finished reading X Factor Omnibus Volume 1, Volume 2. And I got to tell you, I I enjoyed them both. X Factor 1 was a little tough because much as I loved Larry Stroman's art, it was very much rooted in the 90s. Yeah. I had a lot of trouble getting through that because of the page layouts. Yeah. Where a yeah. lot of page times where it's like, I, he's, he's, and this is why I don't like 90s art. It isn't that there were the poses and the scratchy art and the things like that. It's that you couldn't tell what you were supposed to look at next. Yeah. And it made the book hard to read where you're, you know, you want to go. Top to bottom, left to right, reading stuff is out of sight. But they, the panels would be so jagged and weird that we go, I, I don't know what panel's next. And yeah. I had that same problem. And because it was a lot of, it was just superheroish. I mean, it was, it was good that Peter David writes a good superhero book. You know, he gets a little bit of humor, a little bit of seriousness, a lot of tie-ins and the omnibus does a good job of explaining what goes on in between the tie in issues. And I forget what like extinction agenda. And there was one other one actually makes me want to go dig out those books and read it as a, as a set. Now, when I got to the second omnibus, well, first of all, it ends with something that bugs me to this day. Not that I think Peter David's reading this, but it ends up that Val Cooper was using X Factor as a government run organization to protect mutants. Again, remember the original X Factor where the five original X-Men, they were pretending to hunt mutants, but they're actually saving them, blah, blah, blah. So when that scheme fell apart, Peter David started writing it and started writing his version of it. But Val over the course of the final issues basically screws the group pretty badly, almost to the point where you expect, you know, you're like, Oh my God, I can't believe. But then she right in front of them coughs up this horrible thing. And then she starts crying. Say, Oh my God, I was under control. I'm so sorry, my friends, I didn't mean to do this to you. And Havoc just like, Nope, Nope, we don't care. We're leaving. And I just, I want to reach into the omnibus, reach into the Marvel comic universe and throttle havoc by the fucking head. It's like, really? You're in a world full of mind readers, shapeshifters, people who can put people under spells, and you're not going to take her for her word after watching her throw up this blob and, and you just, you know who they were fighting. You know who she was talking about. You know who did this to her. And then, oh, well, we're leaving. Um, as far as I know, that was never addressed anywhere else. I mean, Val comes back. But the way that series ended, I think even 
when it originally reading it, I thought, what an ass. And uh, fortunately, X-Factor Volume 2 Omnibus starts out way different. Because in this case, Maddox, the changing man, takes center stage. And Peter David did with to Maddox what he did with Quicksilver. He made Quicksilver instantly interesting with one panel. They were doing a book where after a big battle, they're all talking to obviously a therapist. And Quicksilver basically says, do you know how you feel when you're in line and the lady in front of you is fumbling to make a payment? Or that person's not quite getting a hang of how to do an ATM and you're you're just going crazy because you're wasting your time? If Yeah, I do. Quick, so that's my entire life. Yep. And with that one page, he turned Quicksilver from a whiner who, again, I want to reach in and just smack him to someone who's like, oh, I can empathize with that. I don't like what they did with him in the X-Factor Volume 2. But again, that's part of the joy of reading it because you're like, oh, I really don't like this. What the hell is going to happen? And it's only part of the story because I guess I just ordered volume three omnibus. Back to Maddox. Peter David took the brilliant idea saying, you know what? It's not that he makes a number of copies of himself. Each copy is an aspect of himself. Yes. And what Maddox did is he somewhere sometime off screen sent out hundreds of himself out there to learn different things. One became a world-class detective, best detective known. The other one became a priest. The other one became a first aid paramedic, so on and so on and so on. When he absorbs them back, then he has access to that skill. But the problem is, is when he absorbs them too quickly, it leaves him in a coma. Not to mention he has problems with memory, like what happened first. And But he made Maddox such an interesting character. I have no idea if anybody picked up the ball after Peter David left X Factor. I And again, volume three is coming out. I know I can. A lot of times what I do is I, I like, oh, whatever happened to this character? pop online and read Wikipedia, or if there's something I'm missing, like, well, what happened to Quicksilver between this and that? So a lot of times I'll use either Marvel Wikipedia or Wikipedia itself to fill in the gap. But, oh, that second volume was so friggin' awesome. I read it in one day. An omnibus. I don't know how many damn issues it was. It was just, oh, man, I could, I plowed through it. And you when know I got what I liked when I read the second one? It was very clear, and it's very clear to me when I read Peter David sort of after Casada took over, he is much better at the modern Marvel storytelling than the previous Marvel storytelling. In that previous modern Marvel storytelling was soap opera, everything, you know, stories never really end. And when you think back to his Hulk, the stories you remember are the stories where, oh, he did this story of Joe Fix-It. It had a beginning, middle, and end. Or this story, it had a beginning, middle, and end. Or this story, it had a beginning, middle, and end. Whereas with most Marvel books, it is all middle. After Casada came in and said, no, 
because we're going to be trade paperback focused, your story needs to have a beginning, middle, and end. You can have plot threads that go through, but it's not going to be wandering on with continued stories that last forever and ever. His writing is so much better in that format, and I think it's because he wrote so many novels, especially licensed novels, those Star Trek novels. When you have an editor, you know, at Star Trek novels, you have an editor sitting on you saying, you have 75,000 words. That's it. No more. And if you don't deliver a complete story, they will find someone who will. Now, later on, Star Trek would have, okay, this is a three novel thing or a six novel thing. Or with the, uh, after, after Nemesis came out, they all became interconnected. And I think I set you the, um, they did a timeline of it. And when you look at it, you get a headache of, okay, these books lead over to this over here, and then they tie in over here, and this is happening at the same time, and then there's this, which is all really cool if you read all of it, but if you just want to pick up a novel and read it, nope, forget it. <laughs> yeah. And if you notice, Peter David did not work in that deep, interconnected Star Wars, Star Trek books. He wrote books that are done in one. And the thing that I really love about his post Casada writing, you give him a mini series, he will give you a banger of a mini series. You give him a comic series, and he will have it set up, payoff, set up, payoff, set up, payoff. He is a great storyteller who's actually, his work, in my opinion, improved with the changes at Marvel, where there are other writers who could not do it. And I'm going to name one because he actually talked about it both to me and in interviews. Steve Englehart cannot do that. He says, I cannot do a mini series or a limited series. I need the soap opera aspect because I want to have thought balloons where I could have the subplot that pays off later. And I, you know, basically I plot on the fly as I write. And that's not to be mean, but that's why Steve Englehart's not writing comics. Well, that and he's much older, but Peter David's only about, I don't know, five, six years younger than Steve Englehart. And he's still, still able to get work because he's able to write that novel format, whereas other writers who worked at Marvel and DC during the 70s and 80s, they can't. They cannot structure, they can't structure a novel. And um, I didn't mean to jump on your geeking, but it's something that as I read it, it's like, this is really good because it's not, you know, he has plot threads that go here, or he will drop hints that pay off much later off in the series. But you can read each story arc all by itself, and it's fulfilling. Yeah, he actually has a well. He has a couple of things where these these D maybe E level villains end up killing themselves, and you're like, why the hell? And it pays off in an annual later on, you know, which was pretty funny. 
my faith in shipping is slowly being restored. I had mentioned, you know, all the crap that got ripped off from me last time. And one of them was the Kickstarter editions from Wandering Planet Toys of The Prisoner. Because I was one of the 2000 backers on Facebook that made four inch retro style action figures of The Prisoner. And they are so fucking sweet. Wandering Planet finally uh, reshipped my order to me. Thank you, thank you, thank you. I'm so happy. I was just willing to to write it off. I figured I cashed my chips in when Discount Comic Book Service covered what got ripped off for me. But this was a, a, a amazing thing to get in the mail this morning. I mean, I heard the doorbell ring. I got up. I saw a couple boxes sitting there. It was raining. I got out my stocking feet. And rain in December is cold, so my feet were cold. But when I saw it was from, I opened it up. It's like... Oh, my gosh. I put a picture of it on the Minnesota Toy Posse, and I'll post it elsewhere. But it's like the Prisoner from Beach Escape, the first edition, the Checkmate, uh, the uh, Free For All two-pack, the uh, Schizoid Man two-pack, plus a Prisoner inside a rover. And I got a little tiny blow-up rover as well. And some T-shirts, some backings to make a picture of it. I have no idea if I'm going to open these or keep them sealed, but they are so cool. And they're sold out, so don't even bother looking for them. But I'm I'm just happy that they they done come back. Speaking of other happiness, I'm on the eBay's, as you know. I'm doing a 50% off sale, so it's going to run for a couple weeks. Check it out. I just put a bunch of things on. One of the things that's happening is I'm a guy I've been doing consignment for uh, has decided he uh, doesn't want to do it anymore. He said, go ahead, blow out what you can, and I am. So a lot of it's 50% off. When you get to crazy, I do have a, a section. Well, actually, on my Facebook page, you can link to it if you want. And then that'll give you everything that's 50% off. It should automatically show up. I I don't see it when I'm looking at the eBay thing. It used to be you'd look at it and go, oh, it was $24.99, now $12.99 or something. But I, I'm hoping if you buy it, you'll get it. If not, you know what to do. Give me a call, and I'll make sure you get it at half price. I, the only other thing I'm doing, I've been watching on, oddly enough, we're talking HBO Max, on the Smithsonian Channel. My wife and I ran across a show called Aerial Cities. What, it's from 2016, and what they do is they run a, well, drone footage, I would think, all over various cities, and they talk about the various sights and sounds and places you see. For example, the first one was Las Vegas. Both Chris and I have been there. And as you're flying over, they show you the Bellagio and the other thing. They don't shy away from negativity. For example, the shooting that happened in L.A. We've watched three of the shows so far. Actually, four. I'm sorry. Las Vegas, Chicago, Seattle, which I've never been to. Chris has been to. And San Francisco, which, again, I've been through, but Chris has been to. So two more left, Los Angeles, Miami. It's from 2016. I don't know if they're ever going to do more. Probably not the way it sounds like. Uh, must be too expensive to just fly a drone over a city and take pictures. I don't know. But anyways, it's, it's a lot of fun. Go look at it before it disappears. And that's pretty much it. Corey, what you geeking on? Joe. Yes. You've been promising something since you came back and you're not delivering. You're damn right I won't. 
But I did put up my eBay thing. No. Oh. I want to know about this $600 comic. What? Psh, the walls have ears, you know. Your now, wife I, does not listen to the podcast. But she knows about it because we made a deal. Anytime I, anytime we buy anything over 100 bucks, we just talk to the other person about it. And so here's the deal. You know I love my autographs. I'm currently in a binge of picking up autographs, mostly of creators I like. And I mean, I'll just, I've, I've talked about this before. Like here, here's my one box. Okay, this one is, speaking of which, signed by Peter David. And then I have one fighting, that's a Star Trek. And then I have a Fighting America signed by Liefeld. And here's, uh, who did this one? She-Hulk number one, signed by Mike Mathau. And here's Bill Tushi on a Kickstarter. She, bunch of other ones. Like here's Andy Kubert, Joe Quesada on Origins. I've just been picking up stuff. I've got people who have passed away. I've got uh, Bernie Rice done. I've got... Who did the, uh, oh, it's right here. The uh, Vic and Blood, the Chronicles of Boy and His Dog. I got the signed version that Arlen Ellison and Richard Corbin signed. So one of the things we've talked about in the past, yeah, you could go to cons and you can, you know, you could reach Shatner and probably have him sign something. Matter of fact, I'm watching the upcoming uh, Twin Cities con that's happening to see if there's anybody there. So far, they got Michael Roker coming and i don't know if there was ever a a photograph of yandu in a guardians comic i'm gonna have to check it out but they had a through greg horn art we get a wolverine one celebrity authentics signed by not only hugh jackman but then also signed in cgc to 9.8 by greg horn himself so this Edition came due and it, it runs $599.99. And I thought, well, let me see what Chris says. Hey, do you mind if I do this? At the same time, they also had a special uh, remarked edition where not only would Hugh Jackman sign it, but Greg Horn would do a sketch of Wolverine on it. They only did 20 of those, but by the time Chris got back to me, they had already sold out. And you want to know what she said, Corey? Well, she obviously said yes, or you wouldn't have it. Well, I don't have it. It's going to take about six months to seven months to do. However, she did say yes, which shocked me. Because I'd been talking to her. I mean, I had thought, I knew there was this Celebrity Authentics event coming up. I actually have a Hugh Jackman photograph cover from the X-Men movie prequel. But to get it countersigned and authenticated by Craig Horn, into the guarantee 9.8 by CGC. I thought that's pretty cool. And I also knew there was a Samuel L. Jackson coming up. So Chris is like, well, I'll tell you what, uh, since you're buying this comic, how about if I go visit your cousin in Arizona for a week next month? Ooh. And I'm like, I'd have gone to Arizona. <laughs> but so I was happy about that. So anyways, I got that coming. This, this reminds me a lot of what our buddy uh, Tori's doing with Twin City Comics on eBay, where he's going out and having celebrities sign photo covers, and sometimes not photo covers, and having CGC authenticated. So 
I just think it's interesting now that they're actually getting celebrities themselves to sign up to do these events. So that's kind of cool. And it's probably more than I probably should have spent, but it's Hugh Jackman. I I don't know if I'm guaranteed which comic it'll be. They do say it's a Wolverine number one. So that'll be cool. I'd be happy if I could send in my, my, you know, the photo of, uh, Wolverine from the X-Men movie prequel comic, but Oh, by the way, that is still available too. If you want to buy it, not the, not the, the remark, that's only 20 copies and sold out. It was only $200 more. So if you go to greghornart.com, you can sign up and uh, maybe we can pair signatures afterwards. Huh? We got that going for us, which is nice. Anyways, what else are you geeking on Corey? I got my first box day of the year. I had the weekend off. I have every other weekend off, by the way. Wait. I kind of decided that I'm going to be, I'm not stepping back from the group home, but I'm not going to be jumping on every shift like I have been. Like this week, they only needed me for Friday. Now I looked, and if I wanted, I could work Tuesday and Thursday as well. But no, I want to just work at the house I work in because it's it's the calmest of the houses. I work there the most. There's only three clients, two in wheelchairs. One is my buddy, who's a 30-year-old autistic guy, nonverbal, but absolutely loves when I show up. Um, and when I show up in the evening, he basically is so happy to see me. He wants to do stuff for about 20 minutes. And then he is so exhausted, he'll sit in his chair and watch sports. And then by 7, 7.30, his eyes are closing and his head is bobbing. We call it bobbing for apples because, you know, his head will drop and then he'll come back up because he doesn't want to go to sleep yet. And then on Sundays, I work Sundays. Usually it's okay. I get everybody breakfast. I get everybody lunch. And he naps after lunch. So it's really kind of a quiet shift. Now, I could work at other houses. And they have pulled me to other houses. But that's the one that I like to work at. So I have every other weekend off. And this weekend, went and ran my errands Saturday morning. Came back. Oh, look. Box day. So I have in this week's box. This is one of the best box days for a long time. Avengers by Busick and Perez Omnibus Volume 1, new printing. Let's hope they print Volume 2 because that one sold out and is going for 400 bucks as well. I did not realize this also has that 12-issue Avengers Forever miniseries in it. Ooh, that's some good reading. We also had Conan the Barbarian, the original... Marvel Years Omnibus, Volume 10, which takes us all the way up to Conan 275, which was the last issue. They, of course, restarted with the new number one. We're not going to get that. But this finishes up Marvel's reprinting of the original Conan uh, series. And the last volume is the one that's Roy Thomas returning to Conan. Uh, Gary Hartle was the artist on the first few issues. Joe, do you remember Gary? Yes. Gary got us in a lot of trouble at the uh, Minnesota convention he was at. 
because he was just so happy to be working at comics. He was giving away sketches. I actually got one in my my sketchbook. And Dan Jurgens complained to me. Saying him giving away sketches means that everybody thinks our sketches are free. Correct. <laughs> and I, you know, I'm not going to go to Gary Harlow and say, you need to charge for your sketches. But I also didn't want to say to Dan Jurgens, well, tough shit. So <laughs> it was one of those times where when you're in charge, you have to make rough, tough decisions. And I, what I told Dan was, I can't stop Gary from giving away sketches. But what you can do is put up a little sign that says, here's how much my sketches are. And that seemed to calm the waters and everything but gary was just so happy to be a guest and so happy to be working in comics he then moved on to animation and was an animator on uh tiny tunes and animaniacs and on and on and on and on and on i also got jack kirby collector number 85 which has a number of articles about kirby when he worked in animation studios in the 80s which is an area of his life that there's not much written about. And it talks about how basically either Hanna-Barbera or Ruby Spears would employ him just to come up with ideas. And that's all they did. They just, they gave him a studio said, come up with stuff that we could pitch to the networks. And for the first time in Jack Kirby's life, he had medical coverage because when you're a freelancer, you don't have coverage. He was on staff. Uh, got paid very well, was taken care of. And then the last book in there is a book I have been kind of waiting for. They have solicited this in various ways over the last 30 years. And that is The Lonely War of Captain Willie Schultz. Oh, I saw you posting. You were reading that. Yes. It was a series at Carlton that ran in their military books. And what it is... The writer was very young. He was only 16 when he started writing it. And it's a war story where Willie Schultz is thought the the American military thinks he's a deserter. But the, the, the Germans don't want him because he's an American. So in a lot of ways, it's like the TV show Branded. And when uh, Carlton went through one of their reorganizations, calling him for work. And as I'm reading this, it's like we missed out on such a great comic writer. Because if he was that good at 16 and 17 years old, imagine how good he would have been if he stayed with comics. But when Carlton quit offering him work, he went and got a regular job. Well, when they finished, when um, for years they've been trying to put out a collection of this, he has written a conclusion. And he said, this is the third time I've written a conclusion. The first time I hated the conclusion I wrote. The second time it didn't work. But this is a conclusion that I like. It's not the conclusion I would have done at the time, but I think it fits more in historical context and with what the story I wanted to tell was. I'm not going to tell you what the ending was, but it's really, really good. And if anybody has any brains at all, 
they'll offer him more comic work. So that is what I am geeking on. Believe it I've or not. I've got some news hot off the press. Uh-oh. Do you know breaking. by the time? Hold on. We have breaking news. Oh, good. I love that we have breaking news music now. Cool. Starting this Friday, Most Wanted Comics will be open. Yes, open I did see January that. January 20th, 11 a.m. to 5 p.m. They're at... 9919 Lindale Avenue South in Bloomington. Guess what, Joe? So that's, time- that's the exact strip mall that I was talking about, the one yeah, that yeah. used to have the big CD store. So we'll see what happens. Uh, as this podcast drops, they'll have been open three days, and I imagine that Monday or Tuesday, maybe I'll get a chance to go down and visit, and I'll give you a uh, my, my first impression, so to speak. A review. Yeah. Believe it or not, kids, you've listened to us blather on about funny books for almost two hours. Well, I and, regret here. And as we say every week, the comic we like the least, we still like better than the comic that you like the most, Joe. Oh, and one thing I love about while we're recording, I was able to work on my Whitney Houston coordination. You know. And I, I, I. <laughs> Hit my music. Done, bitches!